This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to the MLB.com StackCast podcast, a very special edition today where we're going to run an interview with Adam Adovino that I did last week at the MLB Network Studios. Adovino is a free agent coming off a really fantastic year with the Rockies, gained a lot of notoriety last year for setting up in a vacant Harlem warehouse and using Edgertronic cameras and Repsoto and all kinds of the latest gear to improve this game. I encourage you to listen to the entire interview because it was really fantastic, but I do want to highlight one phenomenal quote where he talks about what he would have done against Babe Ruth. Listen to that one really quickly. I had an argument with a coach in AAA about Babe Ruth's effectiveness in, t- in today's game, and this was like 10 years ago. And I said, look, Babe Ruth with that swing, swinging that bat, I got him hitting a buck 40 with <laughs> eight homers. And he's like, are you nuts? Babe Ruth would hit 370 with 60 homers. And I'm like, I would strike Babe Ruth out every time. Like, I'm not trying to disrespect them. You know, rest in peace, you know. Shout out to Babe Ruth, but... It was a different game. I mean, a guy ate hot dogs and drank beer and did whatever he did, and it was just a different game. And that's just about my favorite thing ever. So take a listen to our interview with Adam Adovino. We'll be back later this week with a regular MLB.com StackCast podcast. So, Adam, thank you for taking a few minutes with me. Really appreciate it. Uh, you had a great year last year, obviously, and I think you also gained some notoriety because of the way you trained last offseason, going to your father-in-law's uh, vacant storefront and setting up all this amazing gear like Edgertronic cameras, Rapsodo, all this really interesting stuff. And I have so many questions about that. But first, I want to know, you know you'd had good years before. This wasn't a, a first good season for you. How much do you think that work, that specific, unique work, really helped you this last year? Um, it's hard to say uh, with a percentage that that was the thing. I mean, I think, I think the big thing, I did a lot of things, but for me, it was um, a combination of everything that I did that, that, um, led to uh, some improvement in my game um, but getting the the space was the key thing obviously what I did in it was important but having the space to be able to do as much training as I wanted to do and needed to do was kind of key because otherwise uh, being in New York there was just no viable way for me to be able to get all that done and uh, still see my family so you're going back to the same space this year yep I'm there yeah. I'm there yeah anything different like what did you learn from your first time around that would change this year I just really liked what I did last year, um, and um, trying to do more of the same this year. Um, there's less to uh, fix. Uh, there's less that's completely broken, but there's still a lot of improvement, uh, room for improvement, I should say. So just trying to um, utilize my time as best as I can, and I think last year was the first year that I attacked the off season exactly in this way, and so I'm just trying to uh, take advantage of the of the free time, and I feel like uh, what I mean by that is, you know, four months, it seems like a long time, but it's not really that long. Um, and you have to take advantage of uh, every every day uh, that you have. The baseball community, the pitching community especially, is pretty tight. And so I imagine people saw what you did last year and word kind of got around about how you prepared. Have you had a ton of guys coming out to you and saying, hey, can I train with you or can you help me figure out what you did so I can do it too? Yeah, you know, I mean, think we're, we're always talking baseball um, on a team, you know, with other pitchers. We're always talking pitching, so... Uh, obviously, uh, 
they found out, you know, through being my friend and from reading things about me of what I what what I did, and they wanted to know a little bit more about it and how it could be implemented for their games. So, um, you know, one misconception that happened is a lot of people thought that I went to driveline like for the whole off season, and I really didn't. And so, a lot of people thought like, hey, I got a lot of contact this year. Like, hey, I'm gonna go to driveline. I hope to be as good as you were this this past year, and it's like, well, I hope you are too. But you know, I that's not, it's not a band aid. You know, they're they're an unbelievable place, but it's up to the player to implement changes and to to get better. And I think um, there's no quick fix. And um, you know, I just think that that was kind of a funny narrative that came out of came out of it. But yeah, sure, I talked to a lot of people and definitely try to help my friends as much as I could, um, but not overstep my bounds and. Understand that every pitcher's process is a little bit different. So you think you'll have some big leaguers in there with you this winter? For sure, for sure. Especially once we start getting off the mound. I mean, I've ha- I've welcomed a few more people into the space uh, from time to time so far this year. But once we uh, are fully off the mound, that's when people really want to come and use the toys, and uh, it's somewhere to throw off the mound to a good catcher. So that's that's the draw. Do you? You're probably one of the few active big league pitchers who can understand things like or explain things like laminar flow and gyroscopic spin and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but there's been more and more guys like that. I think Trevor Bauer is probably mm-hmm. the most notable. You know, Rich Hill has really improved his career. And as it gets, you know, more and more difficult to be a successful big league pitcher with the way the ta- talent level is going, do you think this is kind of the trend that more guys will sort of attempt to you know go and design their pitches in this way? I think more will. I don't think it'll be like a tidal wave. Uh, like of people doing it on their own, I think eventually the organizations will um, basically employ people to do this for everyone and just kind of be able to look at the data and look at the cameras and say, hey, why don't you try this to guys as a way of coaching them a little bit better. But I think some people will definitely attempt to um, use the data for their own benefit, but I think it won't be a, it won't be a ton because it seems like it's hard. And a lot of people don't want to do something that seems like it's tough or reminds them of school. <laughs> and it's not really that, but it, it has the perception of being that way, so some people will probably be scared off from from that standpoint. Do you think that, uh, you know, when you, you put in the work last year, and obviously there are stories written about it, uh, had you kind of coordinated with the Rockies and the pitching coaches there, or is this kind of like an independent thing? Yeah, definitely didn't uh, coordinate with anyone. I You know, uh, we have like player plan meeting at the end of the year, and it's kind of like, every year or beginning of year and end of the year like what are you working on what do you think you need to work on this is what we see and I've always been kind of brutally honest with myself so I've never really been in a meeting where they told me something that I need to get better at that I didn't already know about and um, as of last year I was coming off of uh, the the previous year which was such a struggle for me um, I was really mad at myself uh, for letting it get to that point but I was also uh, not really communicating very well with the coaching staff Um, wasn't left on the playoff roster wasn't put on the playoff roster, so I was, you know, I wasn't really in the mood to um, speak with them so much. I just was more of the mindset, well, I'm going to come back and make it undeniable next year. So it wasn't really any talk of, uh, you know, what I was going to do. That was kind of like a like a process that I mapped out in my own head. Me and my wife kind of talked about it, and my dad and some other people that I'm close with, and just set up, set down that path. And then by the time I got to spring, I did fill some people in on what I did because I didn't want to leave them in the dark, but yeah, uh, it was kind of a personal uh, decision. So you've got all the uh, all the fancy gear, the cameras, and everything, and you know it's not easy, I guess, to set up at first, but also not easy to understand what the numbers mean. You know, they can spit out spin efficiency and spin axis and all this kind of stuff, uh, but it's not clear without some background. Well, how can I use this? So, what was your education process on figuring out how to make that work for you? Yeah, I've always been something somebody who scours the internet or books or anything for any pitching knowledge at all. So 
obviously that's become much more available since the internet really took off and especially over the last uh, I'd say four or five years um, a lot more um, people have gotten out there with different schools of thought and I'm open-minded to listen to all of it and then that's when I started when the trackman data started becoming uh, available that and pitch FX I started wanting to know what those numbers meant so I tried to dig into that once I had a concept of that wanted to know like kind of the how and the why questions so then I started to try to seek out people who had a little more knowledge than me um, driveline was one of those where, where where some of those people were so that was a key part of last season was going there and talking to Kyle Bodie and talking to Matt Daniels and talking to Sam Brand and finding out a little bit about how um, they uh, use the technology you know I already knew that I wanted to buy it and what I wanted to accomplish but I needed to maybe get on board with some people who had a little bit more experience with that stuff and were using it day in and day out. Once I did that, it was uh, kind of easy, and then I was able to go home and kind of uh, go from there. But you know, just the just the hun the hunger and the hunt for the knowledge was kind of the key from the beginning. I think it was reported that one of your main goals was to try to get a pitch between your slider and your fastball, so you came up with a cutter. And <clears throat> excuse me, it seemed to me like that was helpful, but it wasn't necessarily your new primary pitch or anything. It almost seemed like. Uh, being able to command your slider and move it in the direction you wanted to was almost as important. Like, do you think that's something that you you really got the most out of last winter? Yeah, it was huge. I mean, you know, the main things. I mean, I, I felt like even if I didn't add the, add the pitch, I could have gotten back to normal or a lot better um, just by fixing my command and fix basically through by fixing my delivery and fixing my focus and um, getting back to some pitching fundamentals that I'd kind of gotten away from. So, and like also making my body feel a little bit better by getting a little better lower half strength and uh, working on some uh, you know troubles I had there so that alone was probably the bigger the bigger thing I mean the addition of the pitch I just feel like uh, in today's game um, the two pitch guys are so spectacular with their velocity um, in particular you know that we've seen nowadays guys throwing you know really really hard upper 90s throughout the league and um, if I want to stay ahead of those pitchers um, I looked around and said well what do I have to do and um, it seems like you have to come up with a better strategy than those guys, or and you have to have a more diverse pitch mix. So I've always wanted to throw that cutter, um, not always, but the last three or four seasons, and felt like I was on the right track, but could never really pin down exactly how to do it. Um, pinning down exactly how to do it did add a third option to the mix, and then um, just gave me more more choices and just try to move away from the mean as much as I can and try to be somewhat unique as much as I can out oh, there. I'm glad you talked about this strategy because uh, when I looked at when you throw your slider, uh, it seemed like last year, much more so than any previous year, you would throw it more in hitters counts. Maybe mm -hmm. kind of try to throw them off balance when they would expect a fastball. And that seems like a big change and a, a purposeful change, but also maybe uh, something different than you would learn, you know, throwing in front of the cameras. It's more of a strategic change. Like what, yep. what preface that? Yeah, I think you might be giving me a little too much credit <laughs> with um, it being uh, to surprise the hitters. A lot of it, honestly, is um, the effort to not walk people and to throw strikes. And my my command pitch is my uh, is my slider. So when you're uh, behind the count, you need to throw a strike. When in doubt, I'm gonna throw my slider. And it just makes that much more sense when you look at the result based numbers on the pitch. It's always been an effective pitch for me. So if I'm gonna throw a pitch in a spot where the hitter has the count leverage in his favor. I'll take my chances with a pitch that, in a bubble, uh, gets better results. So that's kind of the impetus for that, and then make my fastball better by making that more of a surprise. So it did work out, and I, and especially early in the year, I was going to extreme levels. Like I think I was throwing my, 
slider like something crazy like 80% of the time behind the count so it did turn out to be where I just wasn't doing what anybody else was doing and I think just by virtue of that uh, it was effective. As you kind of mentioned, you know, the slider's been your primary pitch, and you use it to make your fastball look better. Mm-hmm. And it sort of seems like the sport is trending in that direction. You know, it's no longer you have to establish your fastball and then work off of that. Uh, and a lot of guys are moving in that way. I think we saw more sliders last year than any year we've ever seen tracked. Right. Uh, do you kind of feel like you were ahead of the curve in that, or is that just really good to that's what your best pitches happen to be? It wasn't the first. I mean, there's guys I've watched from the beginning. Uh, Luke Gregerson, uh, was, I played with him in the minor leagues, and he was always a slider-heavy guy out of the bullpen, and... I took note of that, took a little mental note of that, like, hey, this guy's having a lot of success, throwing a lot of sliders. And uh, he was the first one I saw, and then I noticed, like, Sergio Romo, certainly, and um, several guys in the big leagues. And when I got up there, I just knew that, that was my, that's my pitch, you know. That's, that's always been my most effective thing is breaking balls. And so felt like, you know, I'm going to live and die with it. So I did that, and it seemed to work pretty well, and I made adjustments with the shape of it and when to throw it and so on and so forth but you know when you think of me as a pitcher and even when I think of myself I think of myself as you know as like that's kind of my identity I can throw I can throw a pretty good breaking ball and throw it anytime and it kind of protects my other pitches like you said so you've got this you know the lab set up with all the great gear you can't really use that on the mound in a big league game you're not going to get the right. same information because it's just not set up that way what first of all did you have any of that kind of stuff set up uh, at your home in Denver or in the ballpark and if not, how did you try to kind of maintain your mechanics in that way? Yeah, so um, from, a, from a mechanical standpoint, from a technique standpoint, um, I videotape myself throwing every single day. Um, that's something that I started doing last year. And basically, I videotape myself from the same angle every day, and I know what I'm looking for. And I want my, what I'm feeling to match what I'm seeing. And it's just, a, it just help, it's an exercise that it could make you nuts, but for me, I just try to keep it simple in the way that it just... Um, if something is off, I'll see it right away because I'm used to looking at myself every day throw. And that's kind of what you get during the season. You get that one angle from behind home plate, and it can kind of allow me to see, okay, I'm doing this a little different than before, and, and then I'll implement some drills, some drill work to kind of fix those, those, uh, those mechanical flaws. Um, but I did use my high-speed camera um, during spring training, during my live batting practice sessions against hitters. Um, the Rockies were gracious enough to allow that to happen once I cleared it with them and our video guy Brian Jones would set that up and work with me so it was nice to be able to see um, what if any differences there were um, from like a bullpen session to like actually facing a hitter with higher intensity Uh, but then you're as you as you did as you did say uh, in the season um, it's tough Um, I would have liked to have used it a little more but it's just unrealistic because um, pitching in so many games a week there's just not that much practice time. Um, my catch play is it, and I, again, I'll try to videotape that. But beyond that, can't really do much else. I think whenever a uh, successful Rockies pitcher goes out in a free agency, people want to look and say, wow, we get this guy out of Coors Field, right. and it's going to be even better. Uh, interestingly, your numbers, you performed better at home last year. Your mm-hmm. walk rate was down, your slugging percentage allowed was down by like 50 or 60 points, uh, which is it's really interesting and somewhat unusual. What do you attribute that success at altitude to? Yeah, you know... Uh... I've wondered that myself at times. Um, you know, uh, I've had good years at cores and I've had not good years at cores. I don't think uh, it's necessarily always correlated uh, exactly um, that in that way. Like you look at it and say he was better at cores. Uh, that must there must be a reason. I, I I can look at a lot of reasons, but I don't know for a fact. I mean, for one thing, your pitches move less at cores, so that's a negative. But 
um, there's some positives within that. Um, like for a breaking ball, if you throw a high breaking ball at course and it, it's a hanger, it kind of will stay out of the zone. It won't really come into that smash zone. Whereas if you're on the road, it's going to probably drop right into the danger zone a little more often. So sometimes you can have a little more margin for error for a really bad, badly <laughs> thrown breaking ball at home. I think I've benefited from that over time. It almost has the effect of a backup breaking pitch, which hitters will tell you is not not fun to hit. And um, I just think my experience there has helped over the years, uh, not learning how to how to shape my pitches when they don't move the same as on the road. Toughest thing is making the constant adjustment of going to sea level and then out of sea level. It does seem like guys who are more heavy fastball sliders seem to find a little bit more success rather than the guys who are heavy, like you know, big floating curveball. Yeah. Uh, have you found that to be true as well? Um, I think if you can spin the ball, you can have success at cores. Like, but um, the biggest tax, the pitch that's the most taxed is the sinker. I mean, you're just not gonna get the same amount of run, run and sink on your pitch at cores. And if you're used to being that guy that kind of make forces the hitter to hit the top of the ball and smash it in the ground, you're gonna be disappointed at cores when your ball doesn't quite get to that same spot and they end up getting more barrel to it. And that's what I've seen over the years. Although I am a heavy two-seam pitcher, I try to be a strikeout pitcher, so I don't try to use it for contact. I try to use it at the top of the zone or for a lot of like uh, pitches that look like balls that end up as strikes. So it's all about the implementation of the pitches you have and not being too reliant on a contact-heavy approach at course. It's just not going to work out for you in the long run. There's too much space there. And... Um, but yeah, I do think the slower, if you have a slower, spinny, like lob type breaking ball, it's probably never going to come back down. And you kind of have to learn that slider, cutter, overpowering fastball, those are all good pitches anywhere, especially at course, because, um, you know, they're used to everything looking a little straighter. So if you can keep your pitches a little straighter with minute movement, I think that, that that's pretty effective. You just got an up close look at Kyle Freeland having a phenomenal yeah, year at yeah. course. What do you, what do you think his secret was? Command, honestly, he's just and 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 um, deception, and um, you know he's got balls out there. I mean, he's just he's awesome. He's a he's a he's a throwback in a lot of ways. In the in that when he gets in trouble, he um, he finds a way out of it. Um, I know like his peripheral stats might not be as flashy as like a Herman Marquez, but he was just as effective, if not more effective, for us. And a lot of that is because when he needs to make a pitch, he makes a pitch. I mean, he filled up the inside part of the zone to righties and then could also throw his two seam down and away right on the corner. He really figured out how to be, in my opinion, one of the best in the whole world at backdooring his breaking ball. I mean, he keeps it right on the edge or off the edge incredibly well. So he's just not giving them anything really in the middle. And also he has that hesitation in his delivery, which is tricky, holds runners extremely well. Um, his mentality is amazing out there. So he does a lot of the little things that you have to do if you're not punching out a ton of guys. And he does those. Those are like his, his like 80-grade tools. When the, uh, the National League wildcard game, so we actually did a stat-focused right. broadcast of that, so we were there for that. And the pitch you threw to strike out Jason Hayward, mm -hmm. uh, I don't know if you knew this, was actually the fastest pitch you threw the entire season. Really? <laughs> which was, I assume adrenaline has a lot to do yeah. with that. Uh, but it, it made me wonder, you know, you've got that 97 back there when you need it. Uh -huh. When you're throwing your fastball, like, are you throwing it almost as hard as you can every time, or are you more like an 80 to 85%? Like, how does, a, how does a pitcher try to kind of maximize that without blowing out? You know, I don't worry about blowing out. Um, I do try to throw the ball hard. I mean, no doubt. I have intent to throw, throw the ball really hard every time, but I do think there are degrees to that. You know, I wouldn't say I'm throwing 80% effort, probably throwing 95% effort 
to 100, you know, in that range. And it just kind of depends. You know, there's so many factors that lead to velocity and how you're feeling throughout the year and your workload and things like that. That night, my adrenaline was just off the charts, and you can see it, by the way. I couldn't throw strikes at the beginning and then <laughs> was able to kind of harness it in there and throw that pitch when I needed to. So, you know, it, my velocity has been an interesting thing. I mean, I've... Uh, I think I've hit 97 or 98 almost every year of my career, but um, I've mainly been around 93, 94 on average. So it's there, but it's I don't really haven't shown to this point the capability of sitting at that velocity very often. I was looking at your yearly velocity charts, and if you go back to 2014, from the beginning oh, yeah. of the year to the end, it's like straight up. You mm-hmm, added like mm-hmm. four or five miles an hour. Yeah. Uh, and I guess two questions: what, How do you think you added that much that year? And then you know <laughs> you kind of got hurt right after that. Yeah, I yeah. Think that was related. Hundred percent related. I think if you uh, this is a phenomenon that's a real thing, and I saw it firsthand. I was about to go. My elbow was about to go, and basically what happened there is my ligament was so stretched out that it was barely functional and so at that point I just think I had just a more whippy arm and my I also was very strong those years which which contributed but I think it was my elbow the whole duration of 14 my elbow was aching I would wake up in the middle of the night and like felt like like I had no blood flow to my arm so it was a really weird feeling but it didn't hurt when I pitched it was just like in the recovery stages then I just thought maybe the off season I'd be all good and came back in 15 and felt amazing that whole stretch too and I, there was my velocity I mean I came out that first game in spring training in 15 I was like 98 the first game and I was I knew it was a red flag like I was like this is great people are going to be pumped about this but in my head I'm like this isn't a good combination like I'm throwing as hard as ever with no with less effort and my elbow hurts something's gonna have to give here and uh, I couldn't tell myself to tone it down you know just go out there and compete especially I was closing at that time so you know, that's what happened. It, eventually, that rope did uh, kind of, kind of give in. It's interesting you say you were you felt strong all the all around because I, I think of like Brandon McCarthy. You know, had years of shoulder problems, mm-hmm. strengthens the shoulder, gets a, a big deal with the Dodgers, pitching well and throwing harder than ever, uh, and then his elbow goes out as well. It almost yeah. seems like the elbow is kind of the last to catch up sometimes, and everything else is stronger. You know, I think we're starting to learn more and more about how to keep the elbow healthy. But in my experience, I mean. What I, when I, and what I told people when I had the surgery is, you know, why did this happen? Well, because I tried to throw as hard as I could my entire life to be a great major league pitcher if I could, you know, ever get to that point. I mean, you know, uh, you're never going to become uh, a major leaguer if you're worried about injury all the time. And I tell kids that now. I mean, their father's asking me when should they throw curveballs. And, and I say, well, you know, what are you saving their arm for? Like, I mean, if have you seen the major league pitchers? I mean, you're never going to become one if you don't try. So that my, I now have no regrets. I went for it the whole way and my elbow bugged me since I was in college and just on and off for a 10 year period. And, you know, eventually it happened, but I feel like I lasted a really long time. Sad to say that, but I feel like I did pretty well, um, compared to most in that regard. But yeah, I mean, you, you got to be strong all around and that's your best bet. Strong shoulder, strong muscles to support your joints, strong legs. I mean, any break in the chain is going to be a, a problem for you as a pitcher. Let's shift gears for a minute. Uh, you're a free agent for the first time mm-hmm. coming off a very good year. And I think fans don't necessarily understand how that process works in the sense like, you know, do you sit down with your agents at the end of the year and tell them, you know, what your priorities are? Or do they have like a formal presentation to you like, this is the contract we think you might get here, the teams maybe that would offer it. You know, how does that work for a first-time free yeah, agent? Yeah, I think, like, uh, for me, uh, agent, definitely, we're, we have good relationships, so we talk. And, 
you know, he tells me his read on the market, at initial read, obviously, the market is what the market will be, but initial read on my season and where that puts you and on the market and what you're up against, and then I tell him my level of tolerance in terms of, like, what I'm willing to do and what I'm hoping for and what would be the best thing ever and what I, what I think is unrealistic, all that, but those conversations don't really mean much. Uh, what matters is what develops from the clubs, and so... Um, then you just kind of sit tight and uh, wait to see what happens. And then basically once World Series is over, a couple of days goes by, and then they can start reaching out. Teams will reach out to you. Um, you know, I think I was like just like the whole couple of days, like who's calling, who's calling, I'm excited, you know. Finally, uh, you get some calls, you get excited, um, and then kind of nothing happens after that for a while. And we're in that period now where um, – you know, I don't think it's quite my time yet to come off the board, and when it is, I'm assuming that the Heat will get turned up quite a bit. But uh, as of now, um, we're really happy with the teams that have made contact, and um, just uh, waiting to see how it plays out, watching uh, everything carefully. I'm sure you have your priorities in terms of money and where you want to play and all that, uh, but do you, maybe even like a larger pitching community, kind of watch some other teams and see how they, they handle their pitchers? like? I think about this in terms of the Astros. All mm-hmm. these guys have gone to the Astros who've had talent, and they seem mm-hmm. to get better there. You know, like, yeah. like Cole and Ryan Presley and Verlander are not on the list. And I assume you can think of some teams who can't keep their guys healthy or productive. Like, how much yeah. of a factor does that kind of play into your decision? Well, I mean, uh, it does. I mean, I mean, you know, you're looking for good fits uh, organizationally. Um, you know, you look like, obviously, Astros are that team where they seem to make their guys, um, you know, accentuate their strengths and get a little pitch a little better. Um, then you look at some teams where maybe that's not the case. But, you know, I, I think for me personally, um, I feel like I've kind of developed myself. So that's not really the be-all and end-all. I just want to go somewhere that's going to help uh, help me, you know, win and um, be a place where I can help the team and be a part of something special in, in winning. Obviously, pitching coaches would be great to work with and to pick their brains, but um, it's, it, to me... Um, the, the, the winning cultures have that, so it kind of goes hand-in-hand, hand, and I don't really uh, worry too much about that. Do you think there are still teams who sort of force all the pitchers to fit into their program? Like, I know that adventure in the past. But. Probably, yeah. I mean, I think there probably are, but I think that, you know, they won't be for long, um, <laughs> certainly. Um, I don't know if you've seen some of the hires recently, even on the hitting side in the game. It's really been shifting, so uh, more data-driven, and things of that nature, and I think that's, that's the inevitable, uh, you know, direction that the game has to go so just might as well be on board with that I, w- I would love to go to some place that can help me with with things um, but uh, yeah just you know I'm just along for the ride and like I said I'm hoping hoping to uh, get with a team that's competing for the championship and that should uh, that should take care of all of that last thing I wanted to ask you just based on some news that was happening today uh, there's constant reports that baseball may try to limit or outlaw the shift yeah. And I'm curious, as a pitcher, you know, how do you feel about that? Are you in favor of it? Would you not like it? I know everybody's got their own thoughts on it. I don't really care that much, honestly, about any of this stuff, like uh, pace of play or anything. You know, I mean, I, I get it for the game. Um, you know, you want to put a good product on the field. I don't know that, the, that banning the shift will do what people think it might. I, I think if you ban the shift, then you're rewarding more guys who just roll over ground balls in the hole. Um and people say, oh, it'll make you spray the ball around the field more. Well, they could be doing that now, and the whole opposite field is open. And I still think if you're a guy who can use all fields, then the game will reward you for that skill. You know, like uh, DJ LeMahieu, uh, who I play with, is awesome at using all fields. And 
makes him really tough to pitch to, and the shifts don't bug him. In fact, they don't even really shift him. If anything, they'll do some crazy outfield shifting against him. Um, so I don't know that banning the shift is the answer. Um, I don't know that it's not the answer, but I don't, my, my gut says no. And I think if people are worried about the strikeouts, they think, oh, guys are swinging too big because of the shift. I think uh, they're misled there as well because I think the pitchers are just super nasty now, and uh, that's that's my diagnosis of why guys are striking out a lot. <laughs> you have an obvious bias there, but I, yeah, I, I, I completely agree with you. Every <laughs> every team now has like seven guys who come out and throw 98 yeah. with movement, and yeah. I don't know how anyone is expected to hit. Anymore. It's amazing, yeah, I know, I know, it's, ama- it's amazing, really. I mean, I, I talk with Charlie Blackman about this all the time, you know, like, how, how do you hit that? Like, you know, how do you hit these guys? But, you know, I guess when you see it all the time, it becomes a little less impressive in the box. Like, the velocity, like the hitting speed they, that they talk about. I think when I came in the league, they would say it's like 91-ish. Hitting speed is probably like 94 now. So that's pretty crazy to think about. Um, and then from a pitching perspective, like, how do you stay relevant in that environment? But, um, yeah, it's, it's incredible. And um, I think, I think it, I think I do think, like, uh, getting back to the shift thing really quickly, I do think uh, if people, um, there, there could be um, a move back to more, like, short swing, um, line drive approach. And you can see, like, a guy like Yelich, who won the MVP, that, that is kind of his approach, like, but he's also able to hit home runs. Um, that's the best of both worlds. So, to become a great hitter is not easy, and I don't think we should be giving uh, you know shortcuts to that to that end. I think the cream will rise to the top, and the guys, the game, the, the hitters will evolve. And there was a lot of offense in the game this year, and I don't see how this makes the product better necessarily. Uh, even just in the six years you've been in the bigs, the increase in talent level among the pitchers, to me, from the outside, seems like it's massively changed. Huge. Is that, you know, you know a ton of the pitchers. Is that true to you as well? Huge. I mean, when I was uh, with the Cardinals, um, my last two spring trainings in particular, I mean, I just remember looking around and being like, shit. <laughs> like, I'm, uh, I'm not the shiny new toy anymore. I mean, we got a Joe Kelly over here and a Trevor Rosenthal over there and a Carlos Martinez over there and the talent level was just crazy. And that's kind of permeated every team now. Then when I went to the Rockies it wasn't the same and then now but now it is. And now it's everywhere. And um, it's remarkable to see and some of the uh, not they're not really old timers, but some of the guys that I that were older guys when I came in the league, if you get them in an honest moment, I mean they'll tell you the pitching is you know, completely different than it was when they were when they were uh, younger players. So Todd Helton will tell you that. Uh, Lance Berkman will tell you that. And uh, I appreciate that honesty because that that's just the, that's just the truth. Yeah, I saw uh, Phil Hughes on Twitter yesterday tweeted a video of Whitey Ford pitching from like the '60s, and he's blowing guys away. And he's like, "Yeah, Whitey's probably throwing like 80 miles an hour." Right yeah, there. yeah. <laughs> I remember I had an argument with a coach in AAA about Babe Ruth's effectiveness in, t- in today's game, and this was like 10 years ago. I said, look, Babe Ruth with that swing, swinging that bat, I got him hitting a buck forty with eight homers. And he's like, are you nuts? Babe Ruth would hit three seventy with sixty homers. And I'm like, I would strike Babe Ruth out every time. Like, I'm not trying to disrespect them. You know, rest in peace. You know, shout out to Babe Ruth. But it was a different game. I mean, a guy ate hot dogs and drank beer and did whatever he did, and it was just a different game. And guys had to pitch, you know, three day three man rotations and. 400 innings, I mean, the, the requirements were just different, so. Couldn't agree with like <laughs> That's awesome, Adam, really, thanks All so right, much for your time. Thank you. <laughs>
Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 